Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. The text for the sermon today is the Romans reading that we heard from Romans 8, 26 to 39. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we hear your word to us today, by your Spirit convince and persuade us that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Our text today in this last part of Romans chapter 8 is a part of scripture which is among the most beloved in all the Bible. One of the reasons for this, I think, is that on the one hand in these verses we have something profoundly realistic. Words which acknowledge suffering, which acknowledge that life in this world can be one of groans and sighs. But on the other hand, we are not left in our suffering. We are lifted out of it. We are given hope in our suffering. That's what the Holy Spirit through St. Paul does for us in these verses today. Brings us hope in our suffering. To do this, he points us first to God's interceding spirit, then to God's glorious purpose and finally to God's unchangeable love. So first is the gift of God's interceding spirit. I still remember a person I visited in hospital during chemotherapy. And we spoke about how she was feeling, how she was coping, what fears she had. And something she said surprised me. She said, Pastor, amidst everything that's going on at the moment, the thing that really worries me is that I can't pray anymore. I'm so empty, so worn out and I just can't pray. That's my biggest concern. Perhaps you've had an experience like this. It's not uncommon. And if it's not feeling unable to pray at all, certainly we all know struggle in prayer. And so it's fascinating that in a discussion of suffering and hope, we are pointed to a resource which speaks to this problem. But we're not told... Well, if you were a real Christian, you'd be able to pray. If you just put your mind to it and tried a bit harder, you'd be able to pray. Instead, we're pointed to the work of God in prayer. The gift of God, the Holy Spirit who prays for us and even in us. That very Spirit who intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Now, this is fairly mysterious stuff. It makes me think of when experts tell us how little we use of our brains for conscious thought, that there's so much more going on in our minds at deeper levels. So, for example, we might be trying to remember something or think of a solution to a problem for a, quite a while and we just can't get it. And then we wake up in the middle of the night and just like that, there it is. 
the mind has continued to work at some deeper level. And St Paul says there's a parallel dynamic that happens with us in prayer. There's a lot more going on in our life of prayer than we realise. Prayer is like an iceberg perhaps where what you see on top is only a small part. The submerged part is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is to bring us comfort in those times when we feel we can't pray by our own strength, when we are weak from our perspective, then the Holy Spirit can really go to work. But also this can encourage us when our prayers feel messy and garbled, when we don't have the right words. You know how it is. You go to pray and it comes out, God, please um, help me with this um, thing, you know. Hang on, God, I, can I take that back and start again? What I meant was, and no, that's not right either, and then we get distracted and then we fall asleep and then we just feel like giving up. And so the message of this text is don't worry too much about that experience and certainly don't give up on prayer because it's at those times when you don't have the words to pray that the Spirit prays in you and teaches you to pray even if it just begins with a sigh and a groan. He knows what you need and he knows the will of God. He prays for you on that basis. So to give hope in our suffering, we're pointed to God's interceding spirit. Now, that spirit is interceding according to the will of God. And that leads on to our next point where we're directed to God's glorious purpose, even in and through suffering. One of the other ways that hardships in life can affect us as Christian people is to make us think that what we're going through is meaningless, that there's no overarching purpose to it all. We can feel lost, can't we, in a chaotic set of circumstances and we can't see through the fog. We can't get our bearings. We don't know where it's all heading for us. And so we're reminded here that no matter what happens, God is at work bringing his good and his glorious purpose to bear in our lives. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things, no qualifications, in all things, in all the hardships, in all the trouble, in all the distress, in all the closed doors, in all the setbacks, God is at work to bring good. A mother with whom I read this passage shared at the time it was a verse she clung to. Her child lay extremely sick in the hospital and it was a tumultuous and frightening time. And it had all happened in such a rush that she didn't have a Bible with her or much else. But as she walked back and forth from her accommodation to the hospital, this one verse kept coming to mind. 
perhaps by the ministry of that indwelling spirit. All things work together for good for those who love God. Here is hope even in times of suffering. Now this does not mean that God is the source of the suffering and evil we endure in life. He works in those things, through those things that simply are the way life is in this broken world. But it's also very important to notice what this purpose and goal is for God. Because that God works all things for good is not the same as saying, she'll be right, mate. It all works out in the end. Or even that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes this verse is used like that, taken out of context. But look at the goal in the very next verses. It's described in two ways. To be conformed into the image of Christ or simply to be glorified. So the purpose of God is ultimately that he may bring us to glory, to be like Christ, to be with him forever. This is very important. To know that God's ultimate purpose is not that we will be perfectly happy, healthy and wealthy in this world. You could even say that it seems from teaching like this that God's main purpose for us in this life is that we will be with him in the next. It's this overarching, glorious purpose that Paul goes on to describe in what's been called the golden chain. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. This purpose of God stretches from before the foundation of the world and into the joy of eternity, and it's a golden chain that cannot and will not be broken. As I was talking to Pastor Fraser about all this during the week, He suggested some good everyday experiences that can help us understand all this teaching. Imagine, for example, a famous tennis player who's scouting out the next big star in the junior ranks and he sees this one young lad and he knows there's something special here and so he chooses him for a special mentoring and coaching program designed to get him to the goal of playing professional tennis. And this coach himself will personally guide him all along the way. And the young lad has his first big defeat and he's devastated. He thinks he's never going to make it. But the coach encourages him. He says, no, we'll use this to get better, to get stronger. I will bring you to that goal. And then the young lad has his first big injury and again he's devastated. But the coach reassures him, even in this, we'll work through it. You'll learn resilience. We'll get you to this goal in the end. And as a teenager, when this lad misses his plane for the first big overseas tournament, the coach certainly isn't happy. 
But even now he says, we'll use this. We'll learn from this. We've come this far. I'm not giving up now. We're going to get you to the goal. And if an earthly coach is going to do this for a player, how much more your heavenly father will work through all things for your good, for his ultimate purpose and goal. So to give hope in our suffering, we are pointed to God's glorious purpose. Finally then is God's unchangeable love. Perhaps one of the most profound effects of suffering in our Christian life is that we can feel as if we've been separated from God's love. We can feel as if God is no longer for us. And so to give hope even in our suffering in this climax to this great eighth chapter of Romans, St Paul gives us the most beautiful assurance of God's unchangeable, unconquerable, irremovable, inseparable love that is in Christ Jesus. And this is really worth hearing again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These verses have been called by someone a gospel descant, a phrase which has captured my imagination this week. You know, when our choir here sometimes sings a descant on the melody the rest of us are singing and you feel as if it is still connected to what we're singing but it's being lifted onto another plane, even into another realm. Or for the less musically minded, perhaps it's a bit like that moment in the aeroplane when you've powered down the runway and all of a sudden you realise We're in the air. When Paul gets to these verses at the end of Romans 8, it feels like a descant. He's flying and he wants us to come with him. Notice how personal this is for Paul. He doesn't say, you need to be convinced by this. He says, I am convinced. And it's worth thinking about this from the perspective of Paul's experience. Do you remember what Paul himself suffered? Even just the things he told us about. It's quite remarkable when you go back and look at it. Here's one of his lists in 2 Corinthians. He says, Five times I received the 39 lashes from the Jews. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And he hasn't even got to the thorn in his flesh that he calls a messenger of Satan. When St Paul writes of this conviction, of the inseparable love of Christ Jesus, he is not speaking theoretically. He has learnt from personal experience in the school of suffering that there is nothing and no one that can ever drive that wedge between him and the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he desperately wants us to know the same, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not your most secret sins and not your deadliest disease, not your marriage breakdown and not your financial bankruptcy, not your deepest depression and not your darkest fear, nothing in your past and nothing in your future, not the devil himself and not even death itself. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But how, Paul? How can we know this is true? How can we know these aren't just pious platitudes designed to make us feel safe when life gets tough? He has not left us without an answer. His answer is the cross. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not with him also give us all things? We get the logic, don't we? If I go to a sports game a few minutes down the road and I get there and I see the parking cost $10, what do I do? I hesitate. I drive around the block and I spend $10 on petrol before I go back and park there. But if I go to a sports game in China and I take time off work and I pay for the flight and I pay for the hotel and I pay for the insurance and I get to the game, I don't quibble over a few extra dollars for car parking. Not when I've come that far. And Paul is saying, do you see how far God has come? From heaven to earth, from the earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave and from the grave to God's right hand. Do you see how far he has brought you? From slavery to freedom, from orphans to children, from death to life, he's not going to hold anything back now. He's not going to stop. His love cannot be tested any more than it already has on the cross. 
And so look to the cross and there you see that inseparable love. You are joined to it in your baptism and you receive it again today at this altar. So dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in your suffering, know that you have the Spirit of God interceding for you and in you. That God has a glorious purpose where he works all things for good and that nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.